Acts 20, verse 17. Luke writes, he says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Would you give a very warm welcome to Vicky Wright, our Associate Minister of Operations and Development. She comes to speak. Good evening. Should we pray? Should we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings truth and it illuminates um, your will in our lives. So, Lord, we pray that it will change and transform our hearts and our lives this evening. Amen. Amen. Um, well, it's lovely to be with you this evening, um, today on um, Gift Sunday, and it's particularly a privilege to be following on from Jago's um, Vision Sunday talk last week. And for those of you who were here um, last week or who have listened online since, um, the passage that Jago focused on was from Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua and the people of Israel were at the beginning of their story, a story, as Jago explained, that would point forwards to Jesus and the God's ultimate story of redemption. And Jago encouraged us that as a church, as HGC, we are seeking to be part of that amazing story. It's why our vision is every life bearing fruit for Jesus. And this evening, I want to continue looking at that story. I want us to continue thinking about the next chapter that God is writing in and through us now. And to do that, I want us to think about someone not at the start of their story, like Joshua, but at the end of it. 
the reading we've just heard um, from Acts 20, Paul is at the end of his time with the Ephesian church. He is saying goodbye to the elders of that church. He spent three years um, spending time with them and planting and establishing the church in Ephesus. And he's left Ephesus, he's gone on further travels, and now he is heading back in a ship towards Jerusalem. He is running late for Pentecost that's happening in Jerusalem, but he wants to see the leaders of the Ephesian church one last time. He wants to share with them one last time. So he gathers them together. Last week, um, Jago shared his heart um, with us, and he explained that our focus for this next chapter at HGC is for us to play our part in growing church attendance in Southwark Diocese by becoming a resource church, a church that will have an impact across South London, a church that will impact other churches and bless people. A resource church is a church that will make disciples that will make disciples, a church that will plant churches that will plant churches so that we can play our part in that great redemptive story, that amazing story where every tribe and every tongue get to hear the good news of Jesus and the abundant life that he brings. And before that phrase, resource church, was a twinkle in any diocesan eye, Paul by God's grace, had the exact same vision. Roland Allen was an Anglican missionary priest who lived in Bristol in the 1800s. And uh, Roland Allen was somebody who was passionate about church planting. And he shook up the Church of England in the 1800s. Um, And he did that by writing about church planting. And one of the things he said is that Paul, in the New Testament, didn't plant churches so that they would become big. And he didn't plant churches so that they would become important. Paul planted churches so that they would multiply. So that they would multiply so every tribe and every tongue could hear the good news of Jesus and know the abundant life he brings. And now, Paul, having planted this church in Ephesus, wants these leaders to know how to write this next story, how to see multiplication and generosity flow. And he doesn't have a lot of time. He's running late for Pentecost. And when people don't have a lot of time, one of the things they do is they cut to the quick. They say what matters. They say what's important. So today, as we think on Gift Sunday, how we are to steward our vision, how we are to become a church that blesses others and sees multiplication, let's consider what we can learn from what Paul shares with those Ephesian elders. And I think the first thing for us to think about, the first thing, is that giving begins with grace. Giving begins with grace. Paul wants to leave the leaders of this church with a deep, deep understanding in their head and their heart that God is gracious. 
If God gives you a vision, it needs to start with grace. Paul shares, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to what? To the good news of God's grace. God is writing the next chapter of our story here. And um, on Gift Sunday, we have the amazing privilege to consider how we can be part of it, how we can give our time and our skills and our finances to resourcing that story. But before we do that, before we consider what we can give, I think we need to just stop for a moment and we need to reflect on what God has given us. The creator of the world has given us himself. When we surrender our lives to God, he makes us the place where he dwells by his spirit in powerful and delivering and restoring grace. The writer and Paul Tripp shares that grace is going to confront you with your profound weaknesses and at the same time bless you with a new found strength. Grace will tell you again and again what you are not while welcoming you in again and again to what you now are in Christ. Grace will decimate your little kingdom of one as it introduces you to a much, much better king. In verse 32, Paul says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance. Paul commits those elders, those leaders. He commits them to the word, to the knowledge, to the understanding of grace. Because Paul knows that this side of eternity, we are all going to struggle. There are things that we are going to feel weak in, unable in. And it is God's grace that rescues us, that delivers us, that restores us. And it is grace both corporately and individually that mobilizes us. The amazing story of redemption that Jago shared about last week is just that. It's the narrative of grace. Amazing grace. And I believe that grace is the gift that God continues to give. And it's the story that he continues to write over our lives. And when we think about this next chapter at HTC, and when we think about what we can give to it, when we think about our time and our money and our skills, my prayer is that our hearts will be so captivated by grace that we order our time and we order our money and we order our skills, not in response to pressure, that we order those things not in response to pleasure or the pursuit of pleasure. That we order those things not out of duty or obligation, but that we order our time and our money and our skills in response to God's good and God's overflowing grace. 
Because I think when we do that, the witness to the world is one of joy. It is perfectly possible to resource a vision from a place and a response of competence. We can all do things. Many of us can do things. We can be competent individuals. We can achieve a vision. But if we do that from a place of pressure or duty or obligation, the church, I believe, becomes fragile because people become weary and bitter and tired. And the witness we have to the world is come and be a Christian and be busy the whole time. Be busy and a bit exhausted. But when we order our time and our skills in response to grace, the witness we say to the world is come and see what abundant life and joy is in Jesus Christ. And that, as we work to the calling that God has for us here, the next chapter at HTC, that is to be the message I think we want to share with the world, with the community around us. It is one of joy. And I think as we understand more about this, what we recognize in it is the call to sacrifice. After all, the story of grace is the story of God's sacrifice for us. And by telling his own story, Paul is being clear with the Ephesian elders that giving begins with grace, but it grows with sacrifice. Some of the best stories ever written are famous for both their opening lines and their closing lines. Um, You've probably seen in the paper, um, at the moment, there's um, a a real kind of um, trend for top 100 lists, the top 100 films ever made, the top 100 novels ever written. And recently, um, there was a list I saw of the top 100 closing lines of a novel. Um, And a line's going to come up on the screen now. Um, The line, this is the closing line to a novel. So we beat on boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. Now, I'm not trying to breed competition amongst the services, but at the 9.30, they got the answer to this in three seconds. Um, At the 11, they got the answer in five seconds. Who knows what novel this is the closing line to? Yes, Well done, Freddie. Freddie, well done. Fantastic. I think that was uh, within one or two. It's the great Gatsby. Embarrassingly, embarrassingly, I used to be an English teacher, and I taught that novel for about five years, and I didn't recognize it at all. Um, um, So the reason reason why we looked at that closing line is um, Paul has spent three years with the Ephesian church. So what he says to them, what his final words are, what his closing line is, I think is really important It's his last impression to them. And in verse 35, his parting shot to them, look at it. It is is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul repeats the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is saying, be generous. Be generous. To see people come to know Jesus, to care for the weak and those on the margins of society, Paul is saying, we need to be a church, you need to be a church that overflows with generosity, a church so marked by grace that we order our lives so that 
we can bless, so that we can be generous. I believe that the hallmark of a resource church is a church that knows in its very DNA that it is better, it is so much better to give, to bless than to receive. And as we read what Paul shares, it's really clear that in the economics of the kingdom, in the economics of the kingdom of God, generosity and sacrifice go hand in hand. You can't have generosity without sacrifice. And from sacrifice flows generosity. And Paul, as we read what he shares with the elders, knows this. Paul has sacrificed He sacrificed his freedom, his time, and his finances. And I believe that we are called to do the same, both as a church and individually. Last week, Jago noted that many people pray for God to do amazing things. Many people pray for the reversal of church decline. The problem is we so often want things to change as long as it is not us that has to do the changing. Because I think at the heart of change is sacrifice. Um, Before I worked for HTC, I worked for a church in Bristol that was focused on planting missional communities in the north of that city. And I was responsible for looking after the leaders who were seeking to establish these communities. And as these um, groups and communities took root... Um, And as they began to grow, there was a common story that emerged. Um, Bristol is a city that has one of the highest student retention rates outside of London. Any Bristol grads here? Yay, brilliant. Um, People stay there when they graduate, or they move to London. And people stay there when they graduate. Um, It's a great, great city. Um, So as these missional communities, as these groups were established, we noticed something happening. One of the things that happened was the groups were made up of those who were single and those who were married, but many of them had been to university together or had been around Bristol for many years. So they knew each other really well. They'd done life together. Their kids were kind of growing up together. And as the community started to grow and they needed to multiply to welcome those who were new, new to Bristol and new to faith, um, it meant opening up the bonds of friendship. These groups needed to welcome those who were new. And the only way to do that was to open up the bonds of friendship, to release people out of these communities, to start new communities. It's something we see here as well with connect groups. And what we found was that that was really hard. People had become established in their friendship groups. They'd become established with those people they were doing life with. And to open up and to release and to multiply was a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice for the gospel of grace. And it was something we talked a lot about as leaders. That need um, in hospitality and generosity to sacrifice our own time and perhaps sometimes the people we'd like to be spending time with to welcome the stranger, to welcome those who are new. It's sacrifice. And when I hear um, the stories now coming out of those communities, I can see that God has taken that sacrifice and that hospitality and that generosity. And people are coming to know Jesus, and there are lives that are changed. 
We are called to be generous with our time, with our gifts, and also we are called to be generous with our money, with our finances. If you look at verse 33, Paul gives a clue to one of the ways we can do this. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, My parents are two of the most generous people that I know. They are generous with their finances, but they are also really, really generous with their time and with their skills. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I definitely grew up in a home where generosity and hospitality was modelled. And that meant that I grew up wanting to be financially generous. However, I didn't quite understand how you did that. Um, So I wanted to be really generous. I was financially generous, but I also wanted everything that I wanted. Um, So I kind of coveted things. So I sought after silver and gold and definitely clothing, lots of clothing. Um, I'm glad that Paul also struggled with that. Um, And I remember soon after university, my dad sitting me down for a chat at the dining room table. And in front of me were various card statements, which weren't looking very healthy. Um, And the conversation went something like this. Victoria. I'm Victoria when I'm in trouble. I'm Victoria Jane when I'm really in trouble. Um, Victoria, my dad said, I love your heart. And I said, Dad, I got it from you, thinking I needed a little bit of flattery at this stage because I could see where things were going. And my dad said, Dad, I love... My dad said, Dad, I love your heart. But Victoria, you need to learn that you can only give away what you actually have. Barclays cannot underwrite your generosity habit. And um, it was a, a wise principle, a wise principle that applies to a lot of life. It taught me that for me to actually have something to give away, I needed to live below my means. It's a really simple principle, but one actually that I needed to learn that to be able to be financially generous, I couldn't seek after affluence. To be financially generous, I couldn't have every single product that I thought was really important and that I wanted. To have that bit of money, that, that sum of money, to be able to give away and to be generous, I had to look at my finances and work out where can I not be spending money here or where can I live below my means here so that I can bless others. And living below our means corporately means that we can do that. It means we can bless others. And particularly in this instance, Paul notes that sometimes it means we can bless those who actually may not be able to currently live on the means that they have coming in. Jago shared last week that our current congregational giving is estimated to be around £690,000 for this year. And that number represents many of us who are giving sacrificially, many of us who are choosing to live below our means so that we can give sacrificially. 
But we're saying to meet our needs for 2018. Our giving needs to increase next year by 10%, an additional £66,000. That's £756,000 worth of sacrifice and generosity. Our giving starts with grace. It grows with sacrifice. And it continues with commitment. As we read finally what Paul is saying to those Ephesian elders, he is saying, I have been committed to you. I've been committed to the work that is happening here and to the word of God's grace. What does it mean to be committed to the story that God is writing here at HTC and the story that God is writing in your own lives? I think it starts with choosing the story that you are going to commit to. And for some of us, that may mean choosing what stories we are going to say no to so that we can commit to this story. Because some of us are over-committed. We have committed our time and our skills and our finances to so many stories that we are starting to burn out. The burden has become heavy, and the joy in our lives in Jesus is fading fast. And if that is you today, this evening, God's grace wants to meet you where you are at. And his spirit wants to remind you that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. For some of us, it may actually mean the opposite. I've talked about this before at 6 p.m. But some of us um, worship at the altar of endless possibility. We worship the God of open options. And actually, we need to choose to commit to a story. We need to say, this is the church family that I am a part of. This is the relationship that I am committing to. This is the connect group that I'm going to show up and be present in week on and week out. This is how I'm going to commit with my time and my skills and my money. To be steadfast and to be committed in a fast-moving city, a city like Ephesus, with endless options and endless opportunities, endless ways to use your money and your time and your skills. It may sound slightly boring to be committed. It may sound slightly boring to be steadfast. But I think it is the most countercultural thing we can do, one of the most countercultural things we can do as a disciple of Jesus, is to be committed and to be steadfast. That word, steadfast, means to be firmly fixed, to be rooted so you do not move. And as we write this next chapter at HTC, as we long to see every life bearing fruit for Jesus, my prayer is that our roots would be firmly fixed in Jesus, that our eyes would be fixed on him, and that we would commit our money and our skills and our time to the story that he is writing here in us and through us. Paul planted, 
the Ephesian church. But from that church, so many other Christian communities were planted that it says in Acts 19 that the whole of Asia Minor heard the gospel of grace. Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. And today that same grace is a gift that God continues to give and a story that he is continuing to write. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you that you give us yourself, that you dwell in powerful and restoring and delivering grace, that you dwell in us. And Lord, we want to order our time. We want to order the way we spend our money. We want to order the way we use our gifts and our skills in response to that grace, a grace that we do not deserve, but a grace that you freely give as we surrender our lives to you. So Lord, we pray now for each of our hearts that we would just take a moment to respond afresh this evening to that grace. that we would have a fresh revelation of how much you love us. And from that place, Lord, we would hear the call to sacrifice, the call to be generous, the call to be hospitable, the call to see your gospel of grace go far and wide. And Lord, our prayer is that joyfully we would use all that you have given us, all that you have blessed us with in the service of your kingdom. Lord, may your will, may your will be done in this place. And may your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.